Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. For those of you who haven't met yet, I'm Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And like I said at the beginning of the service, this is Palm Sunday. And we are examining and looking at and reading the scripture where Jesus enters into Jerusalem in what's called the triumphal entry. And the crowd is celebrating him, but this same crowd that is celebrating him now in a few days will be screaming, crucify him. So I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to hear the word of God. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I invite you to join with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Lord, This morning, we celebrate your triumphal entry. We celebrate that day when you rode into Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen, knowing that you would eventually end up on the cross. You rode into Jerusalem with confidence. Lord, help us to learn from you. Help us to learn from the people who were there that day. Help us to learn from the scriptures and the story and the gospel that tells us about this. Through your Holy Spirit, may you speak to us now that we might follow you, that we might have our hope placed in you, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Who is this? I love how that's the question that is tying together the entire city of Jerusalem. All of those crowds who have gathered there, all the people who are in the city of Jerusalem, they're asking that question, who is this? Whenever I come to Palm Sunday, whenever I read about the triumphal entry, it's the crowds, it's the city of Jerusalem that stands out to me. The way that they are celebrating, the way that they are hailing Jesus entering into the city. There's a sense of hope with them. Now, we know that everybody who would have been there in Jerusalem that day they wouldn't have all lived in Jerusalem. Jesus' triumphal entry takes place right around the time of the Passover. And the Passover is a celebration where there's a large festival, at least it was in Jesus' day. 
People would come to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, for a big feast. And it was a celebration of hope because it focused on God's deliverance, on how God had saved Israel in the past, so they had hoped God would save them again in the future. So there's this hopeful feel already there before Jesus even enters into the city. We also know that Passover takes place in the springtime. So there would have been even more of a sense of hope just with the season that it's in. Now, I've never been to Israel, but what I've heard is that there's really two seasons there. There's a cold, unpleasant winter and a hot, unpleasant summer. And then the transitions between those two happen very quickly. So there's a span of about three or four weeks where the weather will be nice where you will see trees in bloom, flowers will be blooming. There's a sense of hopefulness at the new season arriving. And that's usually when Passover would take place. So there's this sense of hope in the city of Jerusalem. And as they're asking that question, who is this? You can hear that hope and the intrigue there. But what stands out to me about the crowd and about the city of Jerusalem is there's no way they could all have been hoping for the same thing. There's no way they all could have been anticipating the same thing from Jesus. However hopeful the city may have been, it was too large of a city. There were too many different groups there, too many different factions. Sometimes we talk about Judaism and the Jewish people in Jesus' day as though they all agreed, but in reality, there were so many different variations, different sects of Judaism. And for them, hailing Jesus, walking in there, hoping for Jesus coming in, they could not have all had the same hope and the same expectation. Now, we don't know everything about the crowd there that day or who would have been in the city of Jerusalem, but there are at least three different groups that we know would have been there. Three different groups I want to introduce you to. Some of you may be familiar with them, but the first of these would be the Pharisees. And you may have heard the term Pharisees before. But the Pharisees, they were teachers of the law. They focused on God's law. And they believed that if all of the people who were in a covenant relationship with God would just follow the law, then God's presence would be there in Jerusalem with the people of God. So they focused on people following God's law to the T, over and above what was even asked in the law. They wanted everybody to be so safe in the law so that God could live with them. And what you see from the Pharisees is Jesus interacts with them regularly and they want Jesus to be like them. They're hoping, they're expecting that Jesus will be a teacher of the law like they are to teach a similar message to them so that more people will follow the law so God could live with them. So any of the Pharisees, and some of them did actually follow Jesus, we know from the Gospels, any of them hailing Jesus coming in, they would have been hailing him as a teacher of the law, hoping that he would be like them. A second group that we know would have been there is known as the Sadducees. And I think it's a really fun name, by the way, because it's like, oh, so sad, you see. (laughs) But the Sadducees were different than the Pharisees. They were still Jewish people, but they didn't emphasize God's law as much. And what they had done is they had cut a deal with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the big empirical force that had come in and occupied Jerusalem. And the Sadducees had said, we're fine with you being here as long as you keep us in power locally. 
So the Sadducees had a sweet deal with the Romans. The Romans supported them. They administered things for the Romans. And any Sadducee, and they did interact with Jesus also, any of them, though, who would have seen Jesus coming in, they would have been hoping that Jesus would disrupt things as little as possible. Seeing him coming in as a king, some of them would have been rolling their eyes saying, I hope this is all a bunch of hoopla. I hope Jesus doesn't shake things up too much here. Because like I said, they had a sweet deal going on with the Romans. And then a third group that we would have known would have been in the city of Jerusalem asking that question, who is this also, with hopes and expectations, is a group called the Zealots. Now, we use that term today broadly to talk about somebody who's very passionate or enthusiastic about something. But it was a specific group in Jesus' day. And the Zealots, what they were hoping for, what they expected, what they wanted, was the exact opposite of the Sadducees. They wanted violent revolution. They wanted to raise up an army, and they wanted to go out and destroy the Romans. And when they would be praising Jesus, if they were hoping for anything from Jesus, they would have been hoping that Jesus would raise an army. That as he's entering in as a king, he would be entering in as a conquering king, ready to fight the Romans, to have everybody take up arms and overthrow everything that they knew. Like I said, we don't know everything about every person in the group there, but we know that there would be at least those three groups present in Jerusalem. And that's what they hoped for. That's what they expected. They were all looking for somebody to follow, though. Looking for a leader who would fit their hopes and their expectations. So when Jesus is coming in, any of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Zealots who would have been participating in the festivities would have been hoping that Jesus would be the leader that they wanted him to be. And in that way, I think we today are actually fairly similar. I know there's a lot of talk these days about not being a follower. People are taught to be independent, to be a leader, taught to think for yourself, to do your own research, to make up your own mind. But the truth is, every single one of us follows someone or something. When you're going and doing your own research or when you're trying to make up your own mind, you go and you consult people that you think know more than you do. We all follow something. We all have somebody or someone or something that we are lifting up and exalting and looking to to help guide our lives. And a question I think each of us should ask is, whom do you actually follow? But even more than that, what is it you're hoping for? When you're looking to someone or something, trying to find someone or some source of information that can guide you, what are you hoping for? What are you expecting out of them? We often, I think, don't check our own hopes and our own expectations. We don't really reflect on what it is we are searching for with people. And what I've noticed is, as a culture, Today, we're very quick to lift people up on pedestals, and we're almost quicker to tear them down when they don't meet our hopes and expectations. And one thing we're not very quick to do is to reflect on ourselves and say, was the problem here all along what I was hoping for and what I was expecting? We project our hopes and our expectations onto others so often. 
for me, a pretty obvious example in my own life with this. I'm watching this TV show on HBO called Winning Time. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody, but it focuses on a basketball team that I loved, the 1980s Lakers, the Showtime era Lakers. And I know not everybody here is going to be a basketball fan, but think about something that you love and imagine that somebody comes along and does it better than anybody else has ever done, makes it more fun, makes it more entertaining, and if it's a competition, they win a lot. The Showtime Lakers were this group of basketball players that I looked up to, and I had posters up on my wall growing up of these different players. And I thought for years they could do no wrong. I looked up to them. Now, fast forward, I'm you know, an adult pushing 40 years old. I've got two sons of my own. I'm watching this show, and I am absolutely shocked with some of the things I'm learning about these people. So I even went and started reading a book that the show is based off of to see, like, is this actually true? And it actually turns out it is. And now I'm hoping my kids don't learn about the Showtime Lakers until they're much older than I was, knowing what's out there. And I remember there was moments when I was watching the show and I almost got mad at the characters in the show because they didn't fit the image of what I'd placed on them when I was young. Not recognizing the entire time. The problem was that I placed on them a hope and an expectation that was not appropriate. They're basketball players. Not only are they basketball players, they were basically kids themselves when they started playing professional basketball. They were, in their, they were 19, they were 20, 21 years old. They were learning the ways of the world too, and they were making all sorts of mistakes. The problem wasn't just with them, though I don't condone the behavior that I have learned about. The problem was also with me, of lifting them up on a pedestal when that was totally inappropriate. Our hopes and our expectations they can be part of the problem when we feel let down. And one thing I don't think many Christians do is step back and check our own expectations that we place on Jesus. We think Jesus is going to be a leader or ruler or a savior in the way we want him to be. I think oftentimes... We can, just like the Pharisees, be hoping and expecting that Jesus is just going to be like us. He's going to support the politicians that we support. He's going to support the causes that we support. He's going to be just like us. That's what we want out of him. Or like the Sadducees, we can think Jesus is going to just keep things going. We like things the way they are. We don't want him to mess up too much in our lives. We want things to stay the way they are. That's our hope and expectation for Jesus. Or like the Zealots, We could want Jesus to overthrow everything. It could be the actual government that we want Jesus to overthrow entirely. It could be a problem in our lives we want him to overthrow entirely, but we want Jesus to change everything. But guess what? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day on Palm Sunday, he let everyone's expectations down. The very first thing that Jesus did when he rode into Jerusalem, the Gospel of Matthew tells us, he went right into the temple and he started overturning tables. He started disrupting what was happening in the temple. So if you're a Pharisee, 
You're sitting there wondering, why are you focused on this right now? Go teach people about the law. If you're a Sadducee, you're saying, why are you disrupting anything? It's all working fine. Just leave it alone. And if you're a zealot, you're saying, why are you on the temple? Let's go kill some Romans. Jesus didn't focus on anyone's hopes and expectations. Even the people who were closest to him, we know that they were let down. Because all those people who rode into Jerusalem with Jesus, his disciples, the people who had followed him for three years, in just a few days when he's on the cross, they're all gone. They were let down by what Jesus was doing. If you're following Jesus because you hope he's going to do the things you want him to do, you're going to be let down. If you're following Jesus just because you want him to fit your mold of a savior, you're going to be let down. Jesus didn't just come here to fit our hopes and fit our expectations. Ask the question sometimes, why did that crowd follow Jesus? Whatever reasons the crowd had for following Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, in just a few days when he goes to the cross and dies that shameful death, those reasons no longer apply. So they all stopped following him. And why should someone today follow Jesus? Like I said, if you're following Jesus because you're hoping he's going to do just what you want him to do, you're going to be let down. I got to say, this is like the most anti-prosperity gospel message ever right now, right? <laughs> and I think it leaves you with the question, why would someone follow Jesus? And I actually have an answer for that. I think the more you read the New Testament, the answer is actually pretty clear. I can't speak for everybody, but the reason that I follow Jesus, the reason why I'm a pastor, the reason why I'm part of the church, the reason why I'm a Christian is simply because I think the resurrection happened. Jesus' resurrection is something that I believe actually happened in human history. It's not a metaphor. It's not a spiritual story. It's not just a story. It's something that I actually believe happened. Because what we see is that whatever expectations people had on Palm Sunday, those fade away. Jesus doesn't live up to those. But Jesus was then raised from the dead. All of these people who knew him claimed that they saw him after they watched him die. And we're talking hundreds of people, not just one or two people who could have been running a scam. Hundreds of people claimed that they saw Jesus in the New Testament. And they believed that to the point where they were willing to give their lives up for that. And it changed human history as we know it. It changed everything about this world this group of people who claim that they saw that Jesus had been raised from the dead, I think the resurrection actually happened. I think that's the hope of the world. That's why you follow Jesus. You don't follow Jesus because you hope he's going to do something in your life. You don't follow Jesus because you think he's going to make something perfect. That's not why you follow Jesus. Because the truth is, Jesus knows much more what you need and what this world needs than you do, or than I do. 
You follow Jesus because the New Testament tells us he was raised from the dead and that is where our hope should be placed. You might have hopes and expectations, but if you want to follow Jesus, hold them loosely and be prepared for a life that will exceed anything you could have imagined. That, I think, is the lesson of Palm Sunday. The resurrection actually happened. It defied expectations. It was beyond imagination. It's hard to believe for many people today. But I believe it actually happened. And that's where our hope is placed. So that question, who is this? The people on Palm Sunday, they're answering it that Jesus is the prophet. But by the time Jesus is raised from the dead, that answer changes. When they say, who is this Jesus? The answer is, he is the resurrected Lord, the hope of the world, the hope of nations. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you have exceeded our hopes. You have exceeded our expectations. Though you let down all the hopes of people who walked into Jerusalem with you, a few days later, you exceeded everything they could have imagined. You showed them that you were doing something deeper, something more important than they could have ever thought. You weren't just coming there to overcome a government. You went to the cross to overcome death. In the resurrection, you gave us life and you gave us hope. Help us to live in that hope now. Help us to love, let go of our own expectations, our own small hopes for our lives, and trust that your resurrection is where our hope should lie. Help us to be rooted in that, Lord. And Lord, as a community here at Stonebridge, help us to be a church that reflects your resurrection, that spreads that hope to everybody, that lets them know that there is more to this life than what they've lived to this point, Lord. To the broken, to the weary, Help us to point to your restoration. To the powerful and to the proud, help us to point to your humility. Help us to point everyone to you. And as we continue in our worship through offerings and tithes, Lord, use these offerings and tithes that we might be a church that lets people know about your resurrection and helps them to find the hope of your resurrection, the hope found in you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
You're 